We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's good, everybody? Before we get into today's episode, I want to give you guys a little bit of a rundown for the Patreon changes moving forward starting in October and for the rest of time, as long as we got the Patreon and we got Veterans Minimum. So I haven't been able to fulfill certain things that the Patreon perks have been. So I've updated it. I've made it cleaner. I've made it a lot simpler. And it'll be easier for me to be able to fulfill some of these perks and desires. So there's still going to be four tiers. And the fifth tier is going to be one that's for like anybody to be able to contribute, right? So tier number one, the legends tier, it's $1. We know times are hard, right? Finances might be low for a lot of people, but a small donation, $1 a month, it goes a long way. You could do the full year subscription and you get a tier shout out on the episode. So when you do the yearly subscription, you also save two months off. So $10 subscription for the entire year, you get a shout out for doing that for that tier. And you won't even notice it on your bank statements, if we're being honest. It's a dollar, right? Like I use the Acorns app and shit, and that just takes out 25 cents every transaction. And I don't even notice it, right? But $1 a month, it goes a long way into growing the show. If we get 5,000 people to throw a dollar in our direction, that's a lot of legends that have joined up to the Patreon. So we have that, right? You can always improve the payment plan if you want. So if you want to come in for a dollar and then eventually you hear a contest or a giveaway and you want to re-up it, you could change it at any time. The second tier, the rookie contract, $5 tier. You get access to the Discord. In there, you have a lot of other legends of the community who are patrons. And more and more with every day that goes by, the Patreon members are pretty active in the discord people are dropping bets they're asking fantasy questions a lot of times when i know i have a guest coming in you guys give me topics to discuss or questions to ask so you do get access to the discord for five dollars a month you also get all the betting picks that i put out i send you screenshots win lose or draw uh you guys clown me when i miss my bets and you know how much i love that you guys keep me humbled so I post those on the Patreon website as well as in the Discord. You also get a betting podcast every week, which is no more than 15 minutes. It's kind of like the state of betting, uh, some updates, my picks, whatever they might be. 
And as best as I can, I try to give you an episode early. Last week's NBA episode, you were able to get that early. If I can record it in advance, I will. You guys will be the first ones to hear that. And then if you subscribe for the entire year, a year pledge, which would be $60 if you were to do that, you get two months off, so it's really a $50 contribution. And immediately, you get one free merch item as a token of our appreciation for contributing to the show. The third tier, Veterans Minimum tier, it's our most popular, $10 a month. There's monthly giveaways, which we can't really say on Patreon because I get flagged every time I say that I'm giving shit away for free. But it's between us. That's why I want everyone to be in the Discord. So you know how it is, man. Lie, cheat, and steal the system as best as we can. But that'll be giveaways. Uh, oftentimes, I'll just announce what the giveaway is. You don't need to personally hit me up and tell me, yo, Lamb, I want to be in the giveaway. No, if you are in that tier, I draw it out of a hat. Now I got some people in the studio. Maybe I could have them draw it out. We shoot some more content. Content is king. So you will be entered for a contest. Um, it'll be a giveaway. There's been merch. There's been tickets to events. There's been Madden was a giveaway. So there's some cool stuff. And then also, if you do the yearly subscription for that, the yearly bundle, you get two months free, right? So for $100 for the whole year, you get two months free, and you're also going to get two items from the merch store, veteransminimum.com, cheap plug. You go and find all the merch over there. You'll get two items for free for being an annual pledge. The fourth tier, the $20 tier, the franchise tag, you get everything from the prior tiers. You get the Discord contest giveaways, all that extra stuff. This one, we also have roll credits. So you're going to get a shout out at least once a week on the podcast. I'll just do a roll call and mention all the members of this tier. And then also we do have the merch store. There's new merch dropping in November and December, right before the holidays. It'll be a nice time to buy somebody some VM merch. You'll be able to get 20% off the merch store if you are in this tier. And you'll also get exclusive drops that are just for this tier. If I do put up a new hat, if we do put up a new shirt, a new shirt design will be exclusive to the members of this tier. And also you'll get first dibs, right? Oftentimes I don't print out a lot of merch, so you'll have first access to it to get it on a discount and you'll just have first dibs to get this. And if you're crazy and you do the subscription for the whole year, you get two free months off and you're going to get four merch items from the store, hats, shirts, and some other things coming up. And last but not least, this one's going to be pretty simple. It's a $40 tier. Right now, we have two people in this. Uh, there, you don't get that many uh, extra perks. Basically, what it says when you check out Patreon, it says, you're a crazy fuck for giving us $40 a month, and we appreciate it. We'll follow you on the social medias. And you'll be getting exclusive merch. Uh, shout out to Nick Chavez. He's contributed over $1,500 to the Patreon since the time. He even has my cell phone number. So if you give me money, it's pretty simple. You might get my digits as well. So shout out to Nick Chavez. Shout out to Chuck Page, who was an old member of the Patreon as well. He contributed a lot in this tier. And yeah, basically that tier, um, if you are in that tier for a whole year, you will get an exclusive bomber jacket. It's one of one. There's only one that's been made, and it's been the one that I have. So that's something that I'm working on for Nick Chavez. And if you do subscribe for the whole year for the Supermax tier, you will get a custom bomber jacket with your name on it. 
a gold-plated logo of VM as well. So patreon.com slash veterans minimum. You can find all the funky stuff over there. And thank you for supporting the show. What's good, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Veterans Minimum Live from the Blue Wire studio here in Las Vegas. Shout out to the Wind Casino. Shout out to the members of the Patreon. We got Nick Chavez, Ben Kotzian, Christopher Velasquez, Derek Platees, Devin Rendon, Jordan Riley, Mike Wozniak, who beat the shit out of me in fantasy this week. That's it's kind of wild, honestly. You know, all this content we put out for you, you're just going to ragdoll me like that. That's cool, man. I see how it is. Nick Crummage, Thomas Robinson, thank you all for your contributions. If I happen to owe you merch, which I probably do, you know who you are. Don't feel as if you are being annoying by contacting me. I need you to because I'm an idiot and I forget these things. But please get in contact with me. You know who you are. The reason why I bring this up is because Thomas Robinson, you reached out to me. And that's exactly what I need you legends to do to remind me. Because I got a lot of shit going on and I keep forgetting. I'm riding high on the Giants being 4-1. and one. We'll get to that in just a little bit. But shout out to the members of the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Veterans Minimum. You can find everything there. On the other line, my guy wearing a shirt that is amazing. A shirt that... Was that the shirt that you let me borrow that one time? What was that shirt you let me borrow? No, I, that was Diaz versus anybody. Let's go. Diaz Army, baby. My guy, Alan. What's good, bro? Forever. Let's go, man. I, I want to put this shirt legalized hitting quarterbacks, but <laughs> I ain't at the time to do it. Dude, so that's that's a good way to open this conversation. It's been the biggest talking point. I know you had to be heated because it happened first on Sunday with Brady, and it happened with your team, a game in which I was, as a, you know, as someone that likes to dabble in sports betting, Alan, if you're not familiar. I had the Bucks minus nine. I was confident. They're up 21. I'm like, yeah, you know what? This, this is going to be easy. You know, typical Brady doing his stuff off a loss, a rare situation where it was all back-to-back losses. And then they take the foot off the pedal. Atlanta comes storming back. And as a better dude, when I have a team winning, like covering, when they have no chance of covering, I'm like, yo, fuck this team. I hope they lose outright. So I was rooting for Atlanta at that point. I was like, yo, forget it, man. They're not going to cover. What's the point of this? Minus nine ticket, $50 down the drain. And then the play happens on third down, right? Uh, like the most textbook sack that you can have, right? It doesn't hit them high. It doesn't hit them low. Wraps them up, takes them to the ground. As a Falcon fan, first off, how are you feeling about that decision and that play? I don't think I've been livid about a game in like five years just because... You were fired up on Twitter. I saw that. Yeah. Watching Falcons just makes you jade after a while. But like this team is legitimately exciting and I love the direction they're going. Like even though they're completely overmatched against Tampa Bay, just the feistiness. Like this team just bowed back. No Kyle Pitts, Drake London, largely marginalized. It was just a weird game where just they were completely overmatched. But yeah, here they are literally one possession game and it's clear they're about to get the stop. They run a great twist, great jackets free, just like in the Super Bowl where you had three sacks. 
I, I was funny. I was actually watching like those Super Bowl sacks that, because you know I just love punishment for my brain. Uh, just watching those sacks, the Super Bowl. I'm just wondering, were any of these sacks similar to this one? Like, you know, this is back in 2017, so I don't know if it was the best comparison. It was like, no, these sacks are the exact same thing as what it was on Sunday. And, yeah, to me, it's just one of the most blasphemous calls. There's no defense for it. I think everyone has the right to be outraged. And it's just, we've been seeing it, I would say, since 2018, where rough in the past, their penalties have become more excessive. But I don't think it's been as egregious as it's been the last, you know, week between Sunday night game and Monday night game. It's just, I, I hate the point is like the defensive players have a really difficult job itself. Just playing the game cleanly, like, you know, with everything that's going on in the game, just trying to make a cleaner sport. But then like you just, you just can't ask more from a defensive lineman at that, at that moment. Like what more do you want them to do? And it's just, I hate it for the defensive players because I just think they have it so hard. And, you know, look, I'm not going to get to Brady and him being called. I just think for the sake of the game, sake of being defensive lineman in particular, things have to be changed because we can't have fundamental plays being penalized and ultimately changing games because it wasn't just this game. Like, we'll get into Vegas, Kansas City. That game got changed as well. And, you know, if it wasn't for Hunter Renfro barging into Devontae Adams, who knows what could have happened. Yeah, there's a lot that I agree with you on when it comes to that because I feel as if it's gotten so ridiculous playing defense where everyone says the hardest thing to do in professional sports is hit a fastball from a major league pitcher. I think now the next closest thing to that is like playing defensive back in the NFL. First of all, you're backpedaling throughout the majority of the game. You're guarding some of the fastest guys in the league. And you do have to backpedal. And then also you can't hit no one, right? Like you hit them high, it's it's targeting, it's helmet to helmet, it's a personal foul. You hit them low, it's also a penalty too. And as a player, getting hit low got to be more devastating because you could blow out a knee, it could alter your career. Where a, a head injury, mm-hmm. yeah, long, long term, that's more vicious. But a lot of these guys, I remember Tony Gonzalez came out and said, yo, hit me high every time. Because at least if you hit me high, I'm going to miss a half. I might miss a game or two weeks as opposed to you hit me low. I blow out my knee. You saw that happening with Gronk through the prime years of Gronk. Him being a guy who you could Jimmy Graham. Jimmy Graham also. Like these big body tight ends and these receivers would get hit low. And they didn't like that. They didn't want that. They'd rather get hit high. And to bring it to the quarterback position, look, it's the most important Position on the field. We all know that. It's the one that makes the most money. It's also the one that kind of drives the NFL also. Like when there's, dude, when there's bad quarterback play on TV, that shit is unwatchable. Watching the, watching the Colts and the, and the Broncos on Thursday Night Football was a nightmare. Watching Daniel Jones and Justin Fields, Daniel Jones and Baker Mayfield. Uh, it it becomes unwatchable when you have some of these backups. And, yeah, you want to protect the quarterback, but to what extent, bro? Yeah. You got another one coming tomorrow night. That Yeah, I, I'm not watching that game. I'm not betting it. I'm <laughs> yeah. not watching it. I'm going <laughs> I'm going to, to gi jiu-jitsu. I'm going to throw the blue belt on because I haven't shown that off yet since I got out here to Vegas. But, yeah, it's it when it's bad quarterback play. So I get it protecting them. But, dude, these defensive players, man, you got to give them some slack, right? It's enough that they get called for all these egregious penalties when 
the the area of them hitting someone has gotten so small over the years. And it's such a snap reaction. Like I catch a pass over the middle. I go to tuck it in. And like you're aiming to hit me square in the chest or, or to wrap me up in my stomach, my waist area. And then I crunch down. Well, now, yeah, you were targeting at my waist. But if I get low enough, you're hitting my head. Now it's helmet to helmet. 15-yard penalty to $20,000 fine. It's like, dude, what are we doing here? Like, think of all the hand fine. Think of all the chipping they have to deal with. And then you sometimes you have to go through traffic. Like, it's just sometimes you run a lot of max protect. It's just there's so much that goes into being defensive line. And then finally, you get that space. It's like, oh, wow, I'm actually in the quarterback's pocket now or I'm chasing him out of the pocket. And then for something just so tacky, like, I think we could kind of decipher what is a penalty, what's not. Obviously, you, you want to use the crown of your helmet as a weapon. We, we've seen that. That's a penalty. You don't want to go low. I get that. But there's just certain moments like going full speed or in both players' cases, great. Jared Christians, I don't even think it was necessarily full speed. I just think they got the angle and you know they made the sack. And it's just, I don't know. It's like there needs to be serious discussion because you just can't have games being decided like this. It's just... And just had, you know, if you're a defensive lineman, like how, you could potentially miss out on plays. Like you know, you have coaches preaching you, you know, play physical, you know, go 100 miles per hour, like, give us a, your 110. percent But then in the back of your mind, you're thinking, oh, if I hit this guy too hard, 15 yard penalty, and now I'm going to be criticized for it. Dude, what do you think of the idea of that? play happening with Chris Jones on Monday Night Football like getting magnified even more because it was Monday night. Like, people were outraged about what happened to Brady with Jared, but I think it being on Monday Night Football, it's the Des Bryant thing all over again, right? Like, the Des Bryant catch, it was a playoff game. It was the Cowboys. It's national television. Everyone, and look, a lot of people watch Red Zone and shit, and they're watching these games too. Tampa Bay's a, because of Brady, they're a marquee team. I would say right now they're one of the better teams in the NFC. But, you have that happen on Monday Night Football, very similar to Dez, where it happens in a playoff game. It's the Dallas Cowboys. It's the Green Bay Packers. And then what happens? That next year, they start challenging. Uh, they they change the catch rules, right? And then you had, a couple years later, you had the Saints and the Rams game where you start challenging pass interference. But these are all subjective calls, which I think it was only like 10% of the challengeable Pass interference calls got overturned because oftentimes they do get it right. But do you think that's where I we're headed? That was a colossal failure. The pass interference rule, that was a colossal failure. I don't think it, it was one year. Like, And I think once, what was it? It was like a Ravens again. It was Marlon Humphrey covering Will Fuller or maybe it was DeAndre Hopkins on like a deep over. And it was a clear pass interference and the rest refused to overturn it. Like the whole pass interference thing, that was a complete flat out waste of time from it was just, I, it should have been executed better. But ultimately, it was like one year, and that was it. So I do think roughly the past year, why not have it be reviewed? I don't think it should be challenges just because I don't think the team should necessarily be responsible for that. Like, I have to waste a challenge on a rough in the past or call that you probably should be able to make. So I just think it should be official review, kind of like how they review all scoring plays. Like, you know, if they're saying that's kind of controversial, they should be able to decide. But who knows? Ultimately, I just think there's got to be a better understanding of you know what is actually rough in the past. I don't think this is too difficult to understand. It's not like a holding or a pass interference. I think you know where the ju- where the referee is positioned, they could determine what really is a rough in the passer. I do think that they should do something about the 
challenging or at least reviewing it, right? Because in challenge, you're right, where mm -hmm. I got to waste a challenge on this one. What if I need it later on? But it should be like a touchdown. Exactly. Something that yeah. significant of a swing or, or like in the NBA, where in the NBA, what they do is the last two minutes all like, you know, we both go for the ball and it tips off someone's hands. They review it. Like they automatically mm -hmm. review it. That should be something like that too, man. Two minute drill or, or, or the last drive in the fourth quarter, something like that. I, but then you look at Monday Night Football, that, that should happen at the end of the second quarter. So it's like, when do we step in? It's just gotten so hard for defensive players. It's gotten really hard. And look, they're making their money on their sacks. Like these guys now have two, they each got a sack that isn't accounted for moving forward. Maybe they have incentives that if I get to 15 sacks, I get $2 million extra dollars. And what happens if, if Chris Jones ends up with 14? You'd be like, dude, what the hell? You know, yeah. like you, you took money out of my pocket too. You cost us a game. For the Chiefs, they didn't because they ended up winning that game anyway. But that, that was a massive swing too. That was like a 10-point swing there because Kansas City's going in. Yeah. He's probably scoring, right? He's maybe scoring because it looked like he had a convoy ahead of him. Or they're at least in field goal range. And I know Kansas City has the shitty kicker situation right now because Butker's been out. But still, man, that's a, that's a big swing because then the Raiders go down mm -hmm. and do what they did. Yeah. I mean, totally changes swing of games. And it's just like th that's what's being decided on. It's just, look, we want integrity for the game. So, you know, for that to take place. And the worst thing was, like, you when you saw the conversation being had after that play, kind of had that feeling in your mind, like, oh, wow, they really might call rough in the past. And then the Kansas City fans kind of identified it because they started building it. What do you know they called rough in the past? And it's just it's just really deflating because, like, we all love the game. And it's just when you think something can be addressed and it shouldn't be an issue, you wish it was an issue. But this is clearly such – this is the biggest issue right now going on in the sport. Dude, Chris Jones is listed at 6'6". 310 pounds, right? You're asking this guy to ease up and brace himself, like not fall completely all his weight on the quarterback. It's like, how do you want that to be possible? First of all, this guy's an edge rusher coming off the corner to get to the quarterback. So he's going full speed. Now he needs to worry about, well, I can't hit him high. I can't hit him low. All right, let me get him here. And now you have to add the new wrinkle of, Oh, you know, you can't put all your weight on him. It's like, yo, what is going on, dude? At what point are we going to give some love to the defensive players? And mm -hmm. uh, Warren Sharp on Twitter put out a clip of, of Chris Jones explaining that situation. And I'm going to tweet it out from Veterans Minimum so you guys can see what I'm talking about. But I think the way Chris Jones handled it was, like, superb. And he mentions a lot yeah, of what we're I saying. Kind of been more mature. Yeah, he, he he did it right. Yeah, basically what he was saying, just to reiterate, is like, yo, there's there's no protection for us also. Like, there's a lot of protection for the offensive players. But for us, we can't do our job the way things are being officiated. And there's there's also no, like, there's no precedent on these decisions, too. Dude, anytime mm -hmm. I watch football now, and it's a third and eight, or a third and two, and it's an incomplete pass, I'm fully expecting, until the ball is punted away, I'm expecting a flag to come in. For real. It's gotten so bad. It used to be the DBs all the time where it's like, yo, they get a th third down stop. Here comes a flag. Here comes a holding or whatever it might be. Now it's it's like across the board. When I see a team punt, there's a part of me that's like, oh, no flags? Interesting. 
I'm just always expecting some <laughs> shit to go down. Tell me not though. How often? How often is there a, a third and seven, and your team needs a stop? They get a stop, and then a flag comes in late too. We're talking about like you know the DB is like you know fucking walking around with his balls and shit out. He's like ah, celebrating, and then and then the flag comes in. It could happen. Yeah, I'm happens a lot. Trying probably. to think. Happens I don't know lot. if it's as excessive though. Uh, I think it just varies on the actual game itself. Like you, because looks some officials are totally like the guy Jerome Bogger, Booger, how you want to phrase his name? Like he's like sixty five years old. Like they're just. I just think also we can use younger refs. You know, get people that are actually more acclimated with the current game. You know, the NFL is changing so rapidly. We have people that have such an outdated mentality. Games can be affected. Well, I, I think also having like referees be full time would be helpful. Uh, well, that's been a battle for years. Yeah, yeah. That, like think about it, like we're te- we're ten years removed from the whole debacle in two thousand twelve with the referees. Those first four games that replacing referees. Oh man, what a nightmare that was. Man, it, it it took the Packers essentially losing a game for things to be addressed. And again, that happened on Monday Night Football. Yeah. Golden Tate. It's a it's a real it's a real thing when it happens in prime time. When it happens in prime time, it gets magnified which, tenfold. Which it shouldn't. Like to be well, having Chris Jones, like yeah, it's very unfortunate, but like the whole great Jared Tom Brady, that moment, that should have just really start ignited the conversation. Like and then Chris Jones was just icing on that cake. But it's just you just you can't have the integrity game being destroyed like this. Like just can't like this game's so close like it's really fine margins we we see with football how many games are one score games like look at the raiders like they won seven games last year by one score or less this year all four of their losses are by one score or less i think they have lost by a combined 14 points in their four games like you know we know how close the sport can be so any sort of controversial play you're gonna feel it hey man who tried telling you about one score games bro I mean, really? we've been talking about it for years. That's yeah. been that's been like See, a, a Seattle got away with it for a bit. Right. That's about it. That's Seattle fine. did get away with they they they're the exception and there was like a Green Bay year too, but also like they had at the time like Russ was an elite quarterback and obviously Aaron Rodgers, but yo, that's a that's a real thing, man. Professional sports bettors for years have always spotlighted turnover margin, strength of schedule, and your record in one-score games. Those are the three biggest indicators to what you can potentially handicap for a team moving into the next season. It's hard for you, bro. Like you said, seven and two in one score games last year with the Vegas Raiders, and they went undefeated in overtime. That's not going to happen, dude. There's going to be calls that go your way. There's going to be call. The ball's going to bounce your way. Your guy's going to fumble. And then there's going to be a nine person pile up. And out of nowhere, Derek Carr ends up with the ball. Well, this year, it's not ending up in Derek Carr's hands. Or Hunter Renfro ends up fumbling back-to-back. Like, there's a lot of shit that goes into it that you just can't account for year in, year out. That's why that one-score record is so damn important. You got Kyler Murray running for 25 seconds and somehow ending up in the end zone. That's what you know. Hey. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Man, I want to play this game with you called Foul or No Foul. Uh, I have a list of a couple of things here and I want to get your thoughts on it. Is it foul that this happened or is it not foul? Is it expected? And staying with the NFC South, right? Staying with the, well, moving to the Carolina Panthers, I should say. Matt Rule got fired. Got fired after three seasons, 11 and 27 record. Uh, Check this out. In the next four years, Alan, he's going to be making $834,000 a month. Is that not the best way to ever get fired? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, he capitalized on that new ownership. Tepper came in. Tepper believed in him because when when Rule came in, pretty much that was when the whole Jerry Richardson scandal happened. Ron Rivera got fired. So Carolina was in full overhaul mode, and they got the new owner. The new owner said, I'm going to believe in you. And, oh, man, what a disaster that's become. Before we get into the nitty-gritty of Matt Rule in particular, do you think this ends – the big money being paid to college coaches to come coach in the NFL. Cause no, I think, I, th- I think owners will still be tempted. Will you be tempted? Yeah. There's a lot of things that people are tempted by, but I think you've seen it time and time again, these like offensive chip Kelly out the league, right? You got Matt rule. Now you got Nick Saban came and then he went worked out for Saban. Amazing. I think he would do that shit any day of the week. And Time and time again, he would make that same decision. But I think this idea of these college coaches being given the reins like Matt Rule got, I think those days are out the window. I don't think they would get a seven-year contract necessarily, but I still think college coaches will attract attention. I just, I just think owners, if they see hot shot offensive mind, they'll take a chance on it. So I don't, I, I don't like I said, I don't think they'll get the blockbuster contract, but. Uh, Owners do some highly questionable things, and uh, I wouldn't rule out them doing it again. Are you surprised by Matt Rule getting fired? Not at all. Uh, to me, he probably should have been fired last offseason. I just think Carolina, there's no identity with them. If anything, their defense has played relatively well. They actually have accumulated a decent amount of talent through drafts and trades. It's just the offense. You just don't know what it is. Like, okay, I know McCaffrey injuries have not helped, but it just there's nothing to build that like I think what was it what was the record? They're like one in eighteen when if a team their opponent scored seventeen points or more, like so you're telling me that if the opponent scores pretty much twenty points, we're done. Like it's just there was never an identity there offensively. And I just never forgot off the quarterback position. Like it it was just a mess. And you know, I know there was some promising signs the first year, but I just think things got so toxic you just kinda knew it was quickly gonna unravel and 
everyone just looked overwhelmed. It just he never looked comfortable as especially once Joe Brady got fired. So uh, to me, it's not foul at all. It's long overdue. And dude, like it's not a bad offensive roster, bro. Like there's worse ones in the league. Like you have a pretty you have a a top five running back. You have a $20 million wide receiver. You got Robbie Anderson. Like, yeah, the offensive line is still rebuilding, but I think there's worse offensive talent in the league. It's the quarterback that you haven't been able to figure out. Yeah, Yeah, which is massive, right? Without a doubt, it's definitely massive. But, like, yo, you should be able to muster uh, at least 20 points, I would assume. You know, and it was, and I was happy. I was happy. I tweeted this out, man, before, because every, every Sunday, there is a game, Alan. And I know you're not much of a, a better. I do the betting for you, right? There's always a line on Sunday that you look back on. And obviously, hindsight is 2020, but you look back and you're like, how the hell was that team only a six point favorite? How were they only a seven point or two point? They were an underdog and they win by 20. And I tweeted that out about San Francisco. I'm like, yo, how is San Francisco a six-point underdog playing Carolina? Like, how's Carolina going to score? It would need to be a, a Jimmy G meltdown where it's like two interceptions returned, a kick return. Like, it would have to be something outrageous like that. And then I was happy in my pool. I had a rough week, bro. I went one, three, and one. I pushed with the Browns. Nice. Uh, uh, I only hit on San Francisco. I got I got scared off the Bills line. I was like, y'all, 14 points. Oh, no, man. They're looking ahead to Kansas City. They had that game covered by halftime. Uh, I lost on Tampa, like I mentioned. I, I bet against my team, which I love doing. Uh, I can't believe the Giants ended up winning that game outright, too. They didn't cover. But my only, the thing that I switched was San Francisco. I ended up putting San Francisco in because I'm like, man, they're, they're just, like, there's no way Carolina could keep up with them. And the game was like over by halftime also. And the reason why I say all this is because I, I think they need to do a complete, complete rebuild. Like they need to, these big contracts with McCaffrey and, and more, you need, to, you need to try to get rid of them at the trade deadline. And I know I saw your tweet. You're like, yo, Green Bay, pick up the phone. And I wanted to tweet at you and be like, bro, this, how many years we've been doing this show where every trade deadline we're like, Yo, Green Bay, go get Manny Sanders. Go get Odell. Go get this guy. Now it's DJ Moore. Fingers crossed somehow. <laughs> um, I won't hold my breath. It's just that NFC couldn't be more wide open and vulnerable, and Green Bay has never been in worse shape. But you know, this isn't a conversation about Green Bay. But uh, but what did you think were rule? Foul or no foul? Nah, man. I think, I think it was justified. Uh, I don't think it's foul at all. I think this is like what needed to be done. There's just no life. Right? There's no life. If you're a bad team, like Seattle, right? I like Seattle, man. They, they've won a couple games. They're, they're not getting blown out. They're, Geno's playing well. They got some skilled players. The defense is, you know, getting lit up. But at least they're showing life. That was the big issue that I had with the Giants the last couple of years. It's like, yo, yeah, you, you're getting smoked by 20, by 30. Right? You're retiring Eli's jersey. Uh, Michael Strahan, excuse me. You're down 28 nothing to the Rams at home. It's like, dude, just show some life, right? Like that, to me, if you're a yeah. young team and you're rebuilding, bro, you got to show some life. You can't just be getting thumped. Like even Detroit. I know Detroit is a bad example because they got shut out last week. But, man, if you're a young team, you got to be able to at least, like, show me something, bro. And, like, with Carolina, they're just, it's just lifeless. 
Let me ask you this though, because I, I do feel like if what what job do you think is going to be coveted more? Oh, this is a bad one. I already know your answer, but say say Staley gets fired, right? Would would you rather take a job in Los Angeles with the Chargers where you have the established quarterback? Or would you want to go to a team like Carolina where you can have a complete, complete rebuild and start from the ground up? I mean, there's no debate. I'm going to Chargers and RP. Yeah. I, give, 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 me, give me that quarterback. Give me the assets. Yeah, it's a crazy conference, but... Yeah, I, I I just at least have something to build there. Like, don't be wrong. The, being an entrepreneur, it's like okay, it's cool taking a, over a whole rebuilding project. But you know, look, there's not a lot of patience now in the NFL. Like, if you, I used to think it was three years. It's coming slowly. Two years. If you can't figure it out by year three, it's your hot seat's burning. Like it, at this point, I hate to say it, and I hope it doesn't happen. But if like, things continue to go like this in Detroit, Dan Campbell will probably be on the hot seat going into 2023 and if he gets off to a rough start he probably will be fired like it's not three years anymore it's two two and a half pretty much so uh for coaches that are taking a rebuilding job that you gotta get to work quick otherwise you might get canned dude it's you get one year with no like don't go 0 for 17 well, you get one year, I think, in the NFL where it's like, all right, yo, you won three, four games. It's cool. It's a new regime. These aren't your players. These are the old regime. But then in year two, you got to get some wins, right? Like, let's look at Robert Sala. Prime example. Last year, what did I tell you? I was like, yo, in three years, they're going to need a new coach. Year one was a nightmare. But young quarterback gets hurt. All these new, not excuses, it's reasons. It's valid reasons. He couldn't go into this year and win only three games. Like you got to show me, you got to at least double your wins. So it's like, all right, yo, we're moving in the right direction. And then year three, you've had your input on the draft, right? You've had, you've had a draft class now for two, three years. Now it's, you got to show me some results. So I agree with you, man. And that's what you saw with Matt Rule in a way where this was year three for him. And at, at this point, there's just no life. Like if they were losing games by one score, I don't think he gets fired. But right. it's just no or just life. progression offensively, yeah. So yeah, if you're if you're uh, putting up forty I, I, points and you end up losing, then yeah, man, shit just wasn't your day. But when you're just lifeless like this, it's 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 a rough look. Uh, Robert Sala, I wonder if he has your receipt. Well, I know some of the Jet homies definitely do because I'm hearing about it too. Because I was like, yo, they might win two games by their bye week, and then of course they win two games that they were underdogs in that I I didn't expect them to win. But we'll get we'll get to the Jets at, at, at a different time. Let's talk about a QB controversy. Is it foul or not foul? What's happening in Dallas and what's happening in New England with the backup quarterbacks either playing well and winning or, well, Cooper Rush is winning more, Zappi coming off a win. How do you feel about that? Is there a QB controversy? I think it's extremely foul. Like you look at New England and Dallas, their past few performances. To me, it's a collective team effort. Dallas, they're not the best defense in the league. They're number two. It's them in San Francisco. Everyone else is tier below in my book. And I think Dallas is running the ball really well, and their offensive line has made some significant strides. Dallas offensive line, they're not at that elite level, but wow, they are moving people. And then New England, like you saw against Green Bay, Detroit, just 
they were battling defensively and they're leaning on their running game. So to be look, all the, the quarterbacks, they're getting they're getting their well-structured play designs. They're getting the nice game plans, doing a lot of play action. They got the high percentage of looks. But to me, it's just like, come on, Dak Prescott, Mac Jones, there's tears to this. So, yeah, I think it's extremely foul any talk of quarterback controversy. But that's what you're going to get when teams are winning so convincingly. Yeah, I think the one in New England is a little is a little ridiculous. I think you have enough of a sample size where I personally wouldn't go back to Dak right now. Why? What, you would go back to Dak? I go to if Dak's healthy, I'm putting him in on Sunday night. All right. So what happens you put him in Sunday night and they just get throttled? Because because mm-hmm. he's not he's not fully Dude, he hasn't thrown. Like, this is the first week that he's I mean, thrown. yeah, when, he, when he's ready. When he, obviously, you're not, you're not going to rush it because, look, Dallas in a prime position right now. What do they have to rush? They're, they have the winning recipe. If you lose to Philly, it's like, okay, just one loss. But when Dak is 100%, this is absolutely his team. Mm. Cooper Rush is the game manager. I think it's pretty clear. He's, I think he's very intelligent in how he moves, but uh, his arm's below average and like you will watch that Rams game. They they pretty much playing not to lose. And at some point you can't play not to lose. And I just don't think how you could have a passing game with Cooper Rush against the upper echelon that FC. Can't. Man, but he's play he's not I don't know, dude. I think the team plays better with him. How how? You don't think that there's something to when when Dak is in there. And then when Cooper Rush, like you haven't seen, it's not it's not a one game sample size. This has been going on now. He hasn't lost yet. And I don't. No, but they're, they're not they're but, not winning because of him. They're winning in spite of him. Okay, that's fair. But I don't think I don't think the drop off between the two is that drastic, bro. Maybe it's not as drastic, but I just I don't know what when it comes to big throws when it comes to like being those third long situations. I don't know how you could trust Cooper Rush. I just I just think the way they're protecting right now kind of shows you okay, the coach still understands his limitations. But with uh Prescott's like you know there's no limitations. Like you're gonna get him in for a runner offense. If anything, I just think what they're doing right now, I wish they actually did more with Prescott. They're using a lot more motion, a lot more condensed formations. I feel like the way they're running this offense or Cooper Rush, they should do more for Dak. Stop being so dependent on Dak to just make that tight window throw actually make the effort and get him some high percentage looks so uh no I, I there's no comparing the two to me i just i just wish the coach would be better when dak is in i just feel as if when you have a quarterback that's like if if mahomes or allen got hurt and then their backups won four games in a row the moment those guys are healthy they're going in there no if ands or buts like, no question they're going in. When you have the Alex Smiths of the world, when you have, I feel like, Dak Prescott, I don't think they're that elite that they can just walk back into their job, bro, when the other guy is winning. That's, what an insult. Dak Prescott, Alex Smith. That's a, I'm thinking about guys. I'm thinking about guys. Yeah, different, different style of quarterback. But I'm thinking about the dude that... One healthy, Dak Prescott's a top 10 quarterback. Alex Smith's top 15, top 20 at best when Alex Smith in his prime. Alex Smith's 
somewhat of a game manager. Maybe a little bit better just because he can move around a bit. But look, when Dak's healthy, I think he's he has all the capabilities of being a top ten quarterback. I know he had, he's had his rough moment. Let's not pretend he's not playing like MVP candidate through stretches of his career. Yeah, but but right now I just think that they're they're on the winning streak, man. And I, I really don't they're right. they're gonna they're gonna because they also pay him, right? It's the reason why they play Zeke over Pollard, because they're paying Zeke. Like I heard I think it was Ryan. Zeke, go on. Zeke's Zeke still has some value. Like I understand there's always gonna be clamor for Tony Pollard. And yes, Tony Pollard deserves more reps, but look, I think Zeke, he still has a role in that offense. Not you know, it should be like a ten to fifteen carries at most role, but you know, I Zeke's not useless. That's 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 what I'll say. All right. Uh, let's move to the last foul or no foul. And it's Carson Wentz being thrown under the bus by Ron Rivera. He came out and said, they asked him why all the other teams in the division are either undefeated or 4-1 and one and playing good football. And he said the quarterback completely throws his quarterback under the bus. Then he later apologizes. Which to me, Alan, like I know nowadays uh, things get blown out of proportion and just like how our climate is and, and how society is, in my opinion. This one was one of those heat of the moment things. And then he had to backtrack and he came out and he apologized to Carson Wentz and we could win with Carson Wentz and whatnot. Is it foul what he said or is it just the truth and the truth hurts? Because Carson Wentz, has not been playing well this year. Carson Wentz hasn't been playing well. We kind of know he's a liability, but I think it's foul just purely because there's so many other issues in Washington. Like how you, know, you come off a really bad season, you only make any sort of personnel changes coaching-wise. Like to me, I have no idea how Jack Del Rio is still a defensive coordinator. And that's on Ron Rivera. You, know, you look at Washington year in and year out, almost top of the league in penalties. You, know, you see the coverage breakdowns. Like, they're just an undisciplined team, and it comes to the point. It's like, okay, we have a lot of respect for Ron Rivera, but he's eventually got to look at you know the past two, three, four years, and it, it's ugly. So, no, I do think it was unnecessary. I think it was a bit of a narrow-minded comment. Yeah, it could be he at the moment, but I just think, no. Like, you watch your team on film, there are a lot more issues than just the quarterback position. Like This is not a good football team, and ultimately falls on you. And I do think Ron Rivera was fouled for that, and I think he should be on the hot seat. I mean, he's definitely on the hot seat because that's, but they've, they've actually been competitive in games where Carolina hasn't been. But I think Ron, Ron Rivera has been there for a while. And that's been another team that hasn't really been able to figure out the quarterback position. And to me, I think it's not foul what he said, but also we don't know if he said that to him in private first. He was, you know, like if someone aired me out, like that, if they came to me first and we were like, yo, look, dude, this is how I feel about everything that's going down. I'm going to take this to the press. I have no issues with that. Now, if I'm blindsided by it, like how Carson Wentz was, then maybe I could see why Carson Wentz and why things are being blown out of proportion like this. Uh, how do you feel about that? Like being aired out in private and then in public? Or do you think it's the same I thing? Like, just don't air me out. I just don't think it's necessary from a head coaching standpoint. I think there's better ways to handle it. And I just think you gotta be you gotta be more aware. Like, come on, you look at the Giants, Eagles, Cowboys success, all three of those teams, it's a collective effort. Like as great as Jalen Hurts plays, we know how, how well Philly has built their roster. So to me, just for Ron Vera to strictly put on the quarterback, I, I, I think 
think he just kind of shows like maybe just purely out of touch or he's just looking for an easy way out. But you know, to me, it's it was a very nonsensical comment, and I think he's better than that. All right, let's move into our games of the week. Uh, some bangers, bro. Some really good ass oh, games this, this weekend. This is, a, this is a sensational week of football we got coming. Yeah, it could be some conference previews, conference championship yes. previews. Uh, I want to open up though with one that I would do a lot of weird shit, Alan, for the for this team to be in a conference championship, and that's the New York Giants. <laughs> New York Giants, baby. I don't know how, but we're four and one. We're out here. They're playing the Baltimore Ravens, coming off a big win against the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, Justin Tucker again, just like yo. Where is Justin Tucker on your list of like most valuable, uh, most valuable not players but most valuable asset to a team? I don't know. It's hard to rank him, but he's going to be on top of the list just because it's guaranteed in a in a one possession game or a tied game, whatever it may be. I shouldn't say one possession, three score game. Like if he gets the opportunity, you are going to win. Like. We've seen how much kicking could be an issue for teams. Like, but Baltimore has the dependability week in and week out. It's an absolute game changer. So, you know, look, I don't know if he's top ten, top twenty, but when you look at you know the most valuable skill position players across the NFL, Justin Tucker is absolutely there because he literally wins games. Dude, I think he would he would be at the top of the list, not number one, yeah. but he'd be like in the top five because yeah, I, I'm not going to dispute that. That's cool. He's the best kicker of all time. He's not the most accomplished. That's yes. clearly Vinatieri, but he is the best kicker of all time. He's the most accurate. Yeah. He's hit clutch, clutch, clutch field goal every time. Indoors, outdoors, sleet, rain, it doesn't matter. Like if you get in field goal range with him, he had a 67-yarder with uh in Detroit last year, was it? The longest field goal oh, ever. Yeah. Like it this was, dude, yes. This dude if if you need a field goal, he'll get it for you. And I think there's so many kicker issues in the league that having that is such a relief for Baltimore. And that's been a big part of this success. And this week they play the Giants. The Giants are at home coming off a London game, which I'm, I'm a little upset about that. I don't like when a team doesn't take the bye week after. But then you could say last week, both teams that played in London both won their games, Minnesota and, and the Saints. Now this week you have the Giants playing after a London game, and you also have the Packers playing after a London game. This one... At least they're home games, which are nice. Both teams have to play at home. That's true. And last week, it was the same thing, too. So I wonder if that was built into the schedule. That's the one positive. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's 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 a good take for sure. This one, everyone is making out to be the Wink Martindale revenge game. Uh, The former DC for the Ravens. He has been able to... The Giants' defense, I felt like, was going to be the strength of the team coming into the year. And then if they could get the running game going. So both of those things that I thought could be the reason why the Giants would be successful this year are happening, and that's why they're 4-1. and one. He does a lot of dope shit from blitz packages, corners coming off the edge, back, like Thibodeau's dropping back into coverage. Uh, Heavy man coverage. Heavy man coverage, like he's going all out. And then you're looking at this Ravens team who 
Duvernay has been a little bit of a revelation for them. Like he was a bona fide returner, but last week he got a bunch of big plays thrown him or dialed up to him too. I know Lamar missed him on a deep one also, but I do think the recipe for success for the Giants defense would be to try to stop 89. Right, Mark Andrews, I think right now, him and Kelsey are head and shoulders above everyone else at that position in the NFL. There's a massive drop. Like for as good as Darren Waller is, I, I think it's them two and then it's, where we get the Wallers uh, of the league. And I'm fascinated to see what they do with, with Mark Andrews and the Ravens this weekend, Alan. Yeah, it's, it's a very exciting coaching matchup in particular because I don't think the Harbaugh-Barndale split was amicable. I think there was some animosity there, and which is unfortunate because Barndale had a legendary run in Baltimore. And I think if he wasn't, was he 65 with a mullet, defensive coordinator like I think he could have easily been a head coach but I think they stereotyped him and that's the reason why he probably would never be a head coach but he's he's phenomenal like when the Giants got him in day ball I was like okay this team has a real coaching staff now and I think it's paying off because personnel wise I still think the Giants have a below average roster but they are so well coached and they are just out scheming teams left and right and they do have a couple of young players emerging where it's just like okay they're gonna be competitive week in week out and they're gonna make some teams look silly and boy they made Green Bay look silly but I think now going up against a Baltimore team that you know is for the most part is pretty well coached, that is such a dynamic quarterback, this is a tricky matchup. But uh, ooh, I do think it's a 50-50, though, just because I, I think Baltimore, for all their success so far this season, I do think they've been one of the bigger disappointments because I just don't like where they're going offensively. And you know, besides last week, I think their defense has been kind of vulnerable. I think the biggest indicator to whether or not you have a good coaching staff is in-game adjustments. It's easy for you to yes. come in on Monday and make your decisions and say, oh, we should have done this. We should have done that. Can you make decisions on the fly? Alan, the New York Giants in second half of games are dominating teams. Last week, they outscored the Green Bay Packers 17-2, to the two coming on a safety. Uh, yeah. This season— Especially shut them out. Yeah, they shut them out in the second half. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, the Giants have outscored their first five opponents by a combined 70 to 39 over the final two quarters of games. Their average second half point differential is plus 6.2. Only the Bills and the Bengals have better ratings. One of them would have been obvious in, in Buffalo because they've been just such a buzzsaw. Cincinnati was a little bit surprising, but they're also built as a team that can outscore you. Like, they're built on their offense being the catalyst for their success. And to me, dude, like, that's the biggest thing. You you have, how long is the halftime? 20 minutes? Less? It's like, 15. yeah, 15 minutes. So you're in there, you're making your adjustments, and then you come out, and the Packers looked clueless in that game, in that second half. And Aaron Rodgers on the McAfee show, he put over Dexter Lawrence, and he was like, dude, this guy is... He, he's an elite. Looking he, like a wrecker. He's, yeah. he's an elite player, man. He doesn't get the recognition. And then you also have Leonard Williams coming back at some point. So the, the defense is only going to improve, and it is the strength. Now, how do you deal with Lamar Jackson? Because the one thing that, that Baltimore does is it seems like they don't unleash him until they need to. Like, he's not – he's running in games that matter and in spots that matter the most. Remember against the Jets, he wasn't really doing that. It's like, ah, we can handle it without. But he ran against Buffalo. 
He ran against the Bengals. And I think now, depending on how this game plays out, I think you'll see him running against the Giants as well. Yeah, because this isn't where Bateman, Bateman's going to play, and that's a big loss because they just don't have the receivers. I do like Duvernay. I do think he's coming on. It's just someone that you could scheme up a couple things for, and he could just run a couple of reverses, and he just has the explosiveness you need in offense. But besides that, it's it's a, it's a tough stretch of that offense, you know, receiver-wise. And, and I do think one of the bigger X factors is just I was perplexed at how bad Baltimore was stopping the run. Like Cincinnati, to me, besides Pittsburgh, Cincinnati has had the worst running game in the league. And it was like the first time all year Joe Mixon was picking up six, eight yards a pop. And Cincinnati was moving them. So I'd be very concerned if I was Baltimore just how overmatched they looked up front and how undisciplined they were because it's not what you expect from a Baltimore team. And you look every game, you see Saquon running wild. And the Giants are just, they're funky the way they're running it. Like Daniel Jones with the option, you know, what they did with Saquon, the Wildcat that we run. Because if you just get Saquon open field, like one of the funniest things I've seen so far this season was with Saquon and Adrian Amos. Adrian Amos was like backing up eight yards. He looked so scared to go. And eventually he just like kind of tripped on his own feet and missed the tackle. Like Saquon's bringing fears to these defenders' hearts. And like if you give him an open field, good luck. So uh, I, there, there's a lot of favorable matchups here for Giants for them to exploit. Like I think Baltimore, uh, I, I praise them a lot for how they built their roster and their coaching. But it's just certain aspects I'm just like, Oh, it's 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 week five. This this has to be addressed. This has to be corrected, and it hasn't yet. You think the Giants can continue winning games the way they're playing offense, or at some point is it going to come down to you got to have wide receivers that can make plays? Because Saquon, I think Saquon's the best running back in the league. I said it after week one as like a hot take, but that that clip is like aging really really well. And as for as long as he's healthy, this is the kind of player that we always assume that he could be, and we've seen him be, but. Dude, you can't have, like, Kadarius Toney has been a nightmare since he got here. Kenny Galladay has been beyond that. Uh, Richie James is your number one wide receiver. Stills comes in. You lost Shepard. Like, yeah, all these. Nice to see Slayton make some plays. Slayton, yeah. I was ex- I've always been yeah. a Slayton guy. I always felt like he was a really good receiver, just underutilized. And for the most part, him and Daniel Jones have always had a good connection. So that was nice to see. He was also in the doghouse throughout the summer in the first couple of weeks. So maybe that could be something new that is going to come to this offense, even though he's been there for a while. But you know that there's going to be teams that are just going to go all in on stopping Saquon Barkley. And like Daniel Jones, he already has these ankle issues. He's probably the best running. He's like the most efficient running quarterback in the league. He doesn't run often, but when he does, it's like very like calculated and the play calls that are designed for him to run. He's like highly successful, but I don't think that's sustainable, bro. And this yeah, it's not. It's not. It's not. It's like a very high school type of offense that you're running. But it's working right now. And and Dable, they they play for this dude. And it's not just that he's uh he's a player's coach. He's also making these adjustments that we're seeing too, bro. Yeah. No, it's just uh, to be watching their running game work week in and week out, it's it's phenomenal. Like that Packers, that second half. They were just slight. They were just getting chunk plays left and right. And like, you get Saquon open field, we know what he could do. The damage that could be caused. So, uh, and then the offense line, Andrew Thomas looking like a top five left tackle, and even some of the lesser known names you see there. Like, they were very moving Green Bay really well. And like, Green Bay's invested a lot defensively. Like, I'm not sure if they're top five, most, but we know Green Bay. Like, they've really tried to build their defense. And I thought the Giants had really punked them out in that second half. Um, kudos to them and. You know, we were talking a little about defensive. I, I really like Xavier McKinney and uh, 
Julian Love, I think those are two players to look out for. You know, just to watch like young Giants defensive players coming out. Because I know Tidwell gets all the praise and Dexter Lawrence, who I think between Dexter Lawrence and Vita Vea, I hope maybe this starts something where we don't we don't just right away destroy a prospect that's a nose tackle. Like right? just because the NFL is a pass league doesn't mean a three hundred forty five pound nose tackle can't be effective. Like because I remember Vita Vea pick got roasted, the Dexter Lawrence pick got roasted. Oh, how do you pick this player in the first round? Like, what are you going to do with them? Oh, these guys could be game wreckers. They could open up space for players to make plays, and they could generate some pass rush. So, you know, big ups to the Giants. You know, look, David Gettleman, he picked Dexter Lawrence. Uh, it's looking pretty well. Yeah, do me a favor. Don't mention that name again for as long as you talk about the Giants. I mean, I mean look, <laughs> some, some things work out. Yeah, you know, listen, if you, you throw 150 different things at the wall, you would hope like one or two sticks. So, hey, hey that kind of happened with uh, was Saquon during that era. Yeah, that was his draft pick. Okay, all right. So some some, some things are pan out. Yo, but, what a- uh, no, this is this is a really cool game. I'm like I'm generally like it was hard for me to pick this. Yeah, look, I'll tell you this: as a Giants fan, I feel way more confident them being an underdog at home as opposed to them being a favorite. There's something about them that they they do very well as an underdog historically, especially at home. They're a five and a half point underdog right now. That's probably where I would lean because. It, you have the Giants who make these second-half adjustments and then cut games close or win those games in the second half. And then you have a team in Baltimore who right now, I don't really trust them with a lead. Because it used to be they go up 10 on you, they go up 14 on you, it's a wrap because of the way their offense yeah. is built. But we've seen them blow these leads. Their losses this year are losses that last year's iteration of the Ravens and the year before, like this Harbaugh-Lamar era, they don't lose those kind of games. So it's fascinating to see... Yeah. Yeah. And that might come back to like really haunt them, man. Yeah. For sure. Like seating wise. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to go. They're going to pull me in, dude. I think the Giants win this game. Ooh. I really do. I think the Giants win this game. And I hope it's not like years past where like I get suckered in. I think it's, I've seen enough so far that this team is going to play hard. They're not going to get blown out. And they're at home. Yo, I'm telling you, bro, talking to Giants fans back home that are season ticket holders, there is an excitement level that hasn't been around in a very long time. And I'm talking about past the 20, like before the 2016 season. Because the 2016 season was, the team wasn't good. They just went and spent all that money in the offseason and they hit home runs on all those guys that they ended up bringing in in free agency. They got the best corner. They got the best defensive end they got the best defensive tackle so like they just spent so much money but this is like you know a lot of these players have been drafted and you have the new regime and you have Saquon Barkley who's playing at such a high level and you have Daniel Jones who they didn't pick up the fifth year option for and he's playing on a prove it deal and and I think both things could be true he he's playing better than he's ever played but he's also not the answer for them moving forward and I always think about what you told me one time Prior to that 2016 season, you were like, dude, are you excited for the game? I'm like, yo, I think they're going to lose to Green Bay. And you're like, bro, stop with that shit. It's hard to make the playoffs. Embrace it. Enjoy it. I was like, yo, you know what? I'm going to enjoy it. It's the same thing with Daniel Jones. Like, I don't think he's going to be the future for the Giants. But right now, he's playing better. He's not having those catastrophic interceptions or turnovers that are going to ruin your team. So, yeah, I think both things could be true, bro. He's playing really well this year in comparison to what we've seen. And I don't think he's the answer moving forward. 
And with all that, I think I think the Giants win this game and they move to five and one. Wow. Just oh, saying baby. five and one New York Giants. Uh, <laughs> uh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it, bro. It's been yeah. so long. Sunday's at 10 a.m. for you. Got 10 times more enjoyable. With oh, this. yeah. Uh, look, if the Giants had a slightly better roster, I would probably pick them, but I just I I still think they're still a work in progress with that roster. Mm. And I do think they have They've kind of look. The schedule has been favorable for the Green Bay game. You know, we know those are favorable. I still think the Ravens have enough juice, both offensively and defensively. Uh, if they, especially, I think you know you're concerned about the Ravens plainly, but if the Giants go down two possessions and Dan Jones has to throw to Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, I could see one of them making a huge play. So I'm going to go with the Ravens. I think they're going to win a nail biter. I don't know if they're able to contain Lamar. This might be one of those games where Lamar has like 15 rushes where he has to play hero ball. So, I'll go with the Ravens. I like it when we disagree. Yeah. Let's hey, see. Uh, Let's see. Let's see how this, this is the week. Out. This is a tough week, man. Well, this next this next one, I'm definitely I'm definitely curious to see where you're going to be at. And I'm going to go to Kansas City. Kansas City's playing Buffalo. This is the the game of games. This is the game of the year so far. And Let's as see. I was trying to look through the schedule, I think this might be the game of the year even moving forward. Uh, there's not an intriguing matchup like this on the horizon. Outside of like, if you're going to get into Chargers, Chiefs, which that's like a lot of preseason hype, but like how realistic are the expectations for the Chargers? Yeah, I can hear the groaning of your voice. I'm tired of the Chargers, man. I'm just... Uh, yeah, no, I feel you. So like, I, I really think this is, this is the game of the year. Like, I don't think we're going to see yeah. a better game moving forward. And it's the game between the Bills and the Chiefs, right? The Kansas City Chiefs, this is the first time that Pat Mahomes is an underdog at home in the regular season in his career. The 40, this is the 42nd game. I think I have shut their tweet. It was like the first 41, he was the favorite. Dallas is his 42nd. That just tells you how damn good Buffalo is right now. Like Buffalo, yo, here's the thing about Buffalo, bro. And I, and I said this when they played Miami. When they play a close game, it never goes their way. Some weird shit happens. Uh, guys forget that they could spike the ball or they don't get out of bounds. Like, so weird stuff happens in these Buffalo games. Well, they, they just beat the Ravens two weeks ago in the narrow. It was a narrow game. Okay. They did. But they... And it came on like a 98, almost a 98-yard drive. Thing. Yeah, like, but then you also, like had, you, you also had the, the, the fourth down stuff that was going on with the Ravens. And they also had to claw back, right? They had to claw back. Yeah. But... Yeah, there are exceptions. Do they win one-score games? Yeah, they do. But oftentimes, it doesn't go their way, which sure. is what I'm saying. Like, yeah, they're going to go. So now you have Kansas City. They're at home. They're the underdog. They're coming off a nail-biter of a win. That came down to the wire also, especially when you factor in the kicking issues that Kansas City has had. And this is – you have a lot of things going in, in, in Buffalo's favor, right? You have the revenge factor, a game that you – you know, you play that game 100 times. How many times do you lose that game with 13 seconds left in Kansas City last year, right, in the playoff game, in the divisional round? So you lost to them. This has been the team that you can't get over the hump in the playoffs. Last year, they beat them in Kansas City, also a similar spot where these two teams played. And you got the two, you got the two quarterbacks right now, and no disrespect to Jalen Hurts, these are the two best quarterbacks in the league playing at the highest level. Like the actual quarterback position, there's no one playing quarterback better than these two guys. 
And again, it's going to come down to one of these two teams. And if you're Buffalo, I think you're weighing this game more than, than if you're Kansas City because I don't think Buffalo can go into Kansas City in the playoffs and beat them. And I know Buffalo, Kansas City last year lost to Cincinnati at home. But having to go to Buffalo in January is going to be a nightmare for these teams. They don't know what they're getting into. Shit is cold up there. It's not fun. And I think this is a bigger game for Buffalo than it is for Kansas City. What are your thoughts on that? It's definitely a bigger game for Buffalo just based on the history. But I do think there are elements to this Bills team that's different. Like, Bob Miller, wow. Like I, I had a feeling it was going to be a hit signing. He, he's actually surpassed expectations for me. Like He's making a difference week in and week out. I thought he was going to be more of just a situational pass rusher where you'll see flashes. But no, there's been stretches of dominance from him. So you have that. Uh, just, and this playmaker is like really James C. Crowder, IR, Isaiah McKenzie. He's concussion protocol, Dawson Knox out, but then Shakir out of nowhere. And like he's making really tough catches across the middle of the field. So it's just the depth of playmakers. And then defensively, like I saw Davis White is practicing now. I'm not sure if this is the week to bring him back, but I, I think you trust Sean McDermott's judgment. But it's just, I think on every level, the way the Bills have constructed this roster, you're just, seeing them feel better and better. Like Elam's starting to get more confident. I know losing Micah High was a huge loss, but you know, we still have players. So just everywhere you look at the Bills roster, just like anywhere, it's like, okay, they're dealing with some injuries here. Uh, maybe they're not quite hitting here at the running back position, but it's just more times than not, they're going to win convincingly. And Josh Allen is just, he's superhuman right now. Some of the throws he's making, like the, the wins were just ridiculous last weekend. And he's still throwing the ball 40, 50, 60 yards downfield, no problem accurately. It's just, it's it's admirable, it's admirable what the Bills have built because this is a franchise, what, four years ago, that it just seemed like they were kind of lost. And now it's just like, no, they are the powerhouse. It's me, they are the gold standard of how you build a team. The only thing that's left for them is actually with the Lombardi. And I think this is the game that could really determine if they're going to do that because being in Buffalo, you can just tell they feed off that and. Look, I don't expect Kansas City to lose many games this year. So this is this is the time where Buffalo, they have to win this. Kansas City, like I've been mentioning the last couple of times that we've talked about them, they're beating you in different ways than they did in years past. They have a top five offense in the league, Allen. And from like scoring standpoint, from offensive yardage standpoint, receiving yardage standpoint, it's like, yeah, you lose Tyreek Hill. But you got to trust the infrastructure with Mahomes and Andy Reid there and the enemy where you know that they know what they were doing by getting rid of them. They saved money on the cap. They got all these draft picks. Now this window for Kansas City with Mahomes is going to stay open longer. And I think Kansas City right now is coming into this game healthier than what Buffalo is with some of these injuries. You're right about Von Miller, dude. Like, I felt like Von Miller was going to be one of those contracts where you're going to look back and be like, oof, it's a little expensive for a, a yeah. situational pass rusher, right? But at his age, at his age, also, yeah. But he's been he's been amazing for them, and it's still like Travis Kelsey's still playing at a super high level. I think on the commentary they were talking about he's 33 now or 34 years old, and he scored four touchdowns on the Bowl, which is ridiculous. He has seven touchdowns this year, and Mahomes has thrown. As I have right, he's half of his touchdowns have been to Travis Kelsey. He's thrown 15 on the year. And to me, I think the the craziest thing 
that has happened in Buffalo has been... Dude, Gabe Davis is the truth, bro. This isn't just a, a one-game wonder. This is the game where he popped off last year. right? He scored the four touchdowns yes. against them last year in the playoffs. But he's become a legitimate... He might be the best number two receiver in the league. Ah, uh, T. Higgins. That's nice to say about that. Higgins, Godwin, Julio. We throw Julio in there. No, unfortunately, <laughs> it, unfortunately, not anymore. Now, there's some really good number twos out there, but no, Gabe Davis is look. He's just a playmaker. I think the only thing with Gabe Davis is got to try to get more. Time. That's that's the one thing. Like you look at his stat lines over the course of his career, it seems like I don't know how many games he's been even close to ten targets. Like he's someone they should try to get the ball to at least eight times. A yeah. yeah, man. He's, I mean, last week he went crazy. He has 309 yards on the year. He has 11 catches. He also missed a couple of games in the middle of that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Like six targets last week, three targets the week, the week before, six targets, five targets. Like he's not really getting, he's not a, now that I actually look at his stats and not the recency bias, like that, that's a pretty rough take about him being the best number two wide receiver in the league. Because he's just not getting yeah. the opportunities. But when he does, though, he puts up some big games. And I think... Just need more consistency. Yeah. Well, he's going to need to get the ball more in order to be... But you're right. You're right. Which uh, which defense do you trust more? Oh, Buffalo, absolutely. I'm pretty concerned about Kansas City defense. I did not expect him to get just completely run over by the Raiders. I know Raiders are quietly building a really good ground game. But that's still an offensive line that's work in progress and I thought they were getting bullied a lot they're missing a ton of tackles um and then uh I think Mc, losing McDuffie has been a bigger loss than I initially expected because I didn't expect him like he had a great week one but then he got injured and I don't know I thought maybe Spags would like be able to uh you know kind of hide the corner back play like he has in years past but I don't know it's Kansas City defense I know they kind of made timely plays but I thought they looked really fun on Monday night and uh, I'd be concerned about that. Yeah, I think I would go with Buffalo's for sure. Which quarterback do you prefer? Which quarterback do you think is having a better year so far? A uh, better year, I would go with Josh Allen. I, I, I can't pick when it comes to preference. Uh, I just think, but Josh Allen, even though he might have a, a pick or two more, I just think he has some games where he is just completely eviscerating defense. Like that, that pit. This last week, oh my god! What do you have? Over three hundred yards, four touchdowns in the first half. Yeah, like it was just scary. They should have. They should have let him go for like nine touchdowns, bro. Break the record. <laughs> like at that point, throw for seven hundred yards, just run it up. Why not? Yeah. Like how many chances do you have like that where the guy came out so hot? His first completion was that deep bomb. It's crazy. It's like that wasn't the first time Case Keenum has played snaps. Like the Bills are so dominant now. Like Case yeah. Keenum's getting reps. Every other week, like, it's unbelievable. And I just, I thought week one, even though the Rams are clearly not the team we thought they were going to be, like, I, I love the fact that the Bills could go out do a short game where I'm just like, all right, if the Rams can bring extra heat or Aaron Donald's just complete dominating our guards, get the ball out within 2.2 2. 2 seconds and just let's dial up short yardage, bang. Like, Josh Allen, I think him becoming much more of a decisive decision maker and, you know, just understanding. I don't need to make a wild play every snap. I could check it down. I hit my first read for a quick eight-yard completion. Like, that's the maturation of a quarterback. So, you know, as, as special as Mahomes has been, I think uh, Josh Allen has been you 
the quarterback this year. I, mean, I think he'd be the MVP, top MVP candidate. Yeah, it seems like whoever has a bigger game in this one is going to be spearheading the MVP conversations, even though they, they are ready. But I think the guy that shows out more, I think will be the favorite come Monday. And yeah. it's funny because we always would have these conversations. Like if you knew for certain that one quarterback was going to have his A plus game, who would you take in the whole NFL? And I think these are the two answers. Like if you knew for a fact, and, and what's dope is we got to see that, man. We got to see both of these guys have their absolute apex A plus game. And you saw how fun that was. That's one of the best games of all time, dude. I mean, from an offensive standpoint, but like the level of quarterback play in that game in the playoffs was wild. And if we could have that replicated, it'd be dope. I, Uh, the way the season's season's headed, I think think we're going to get it. Yeah. I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Kansas City, bro. I think Kansas City reminds Buffalo that, hey, yo, we're still, you still got to go through us. So I think Kansas City at home takes care of business. I think one of the, one of the mentioned stats that no, I think I saw no defense. Kansas City is facing the most man coverage in the league. Like 40% of defense are playing man coverage against them because they're just tired of the teams could understand. Let's just try to go at their receivers and, you know, try to, you know, match up with Kelsey, but I wonder if the Bills, given that they can coverage, maybe they'll adjust it looks like. I think from a schematic standpoint, it'll be fascinating just to see because look, you give Mahomes, you give Mahomes clean look, you know he's going to nail it. So uh, this, this is obviously tough to pick, but I'm going to go with Buffalo. I like what I see from the defensively. I'd be very concerned with Kansas City. Orlando Brown, I think, has had a pretty disastrous start, and I do wonder if he's just not a good fit for what they're doing. And, having a 370-pound left tackle on that kind of offense, I don't think it's working. But you saw Chandler Jones, who's had a pretty down year, kind of eat him up on some snaps. So we know what Max Crosby can do. Bill's got a lot of edge rushes, man. Greg Rousseau, Boogie Batchum, uh, what's the name? AJ Spinenza. Like, they're deep. So I just think the Bills are more loaded right now. I think they're just playing better. And I trust them to get this one here, even though you know, it would be nice if Dawson Knox or Isaiah McKenzie would be healthy. But I think the Bills have enough firepower the last game is the other banger of a game which we were mentioning before about this could potentially be a conference championship game and it's the Cowboys going into Philly Philly is a five and a half point favor right now you have Cooper Rush on this winning streak you have Philadelphia is still the lone undefeated team the way I'm viewing this one Alan is the Eagles defense is very, very good. They have a lot of playmakers. I think their cornerbacks are sick. I think Cox is still playing at a high level. And this could be a game where that five to 10 minute conversation we had earlier in the pod about me saying Dak Prescott should sit and have Cooper Rush in. This could look really bad come Monday. And I think that Philly is in line to put it on Dallas this week. I mean, Philly is definitely the clear favorite. I think they're obviously the most loaded team that I see this the way they're playing. Uh, if you want to think of like a only real concern is that they're kind of banged up right now. Jordan Maiata, their stud left tackle is injured. Jason Kelsey got hurt against Cardinals. And I think uh, Land Dickinson, 
with their top guard. So like they were pretty beat up on the whole line. And you kind of saw in that Cardinals game, I think Jalen Hurts' average depth of target was like 3.8. It was like Joe Burrow and Jalen Hurts had like the lowest average depth of target. Like they were throwing a lots of line scrimmage or just like a quick slant to Devontae Smith or screens at Dallas Goddard. So the reason why obviously it's a big concern is we know Dallas' defensive line could take over games. So if there's a way for Dallas to avoid this game becoming a shootout is just obliterate that defensive line, which looks a bit fragile right now given the injuries, even though we know if they're full strength, we know the Eagles' offensive line could bring it. What do you think of C.D. Lamb as a receiver? Do you think he's a number one receiver in the league? Or do you think he needs to have someone at his level of receiver or better for him to really flourish? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I don't think he's a true alpha number one. I do think he's obviously very good, but I think they use him in the slot a lot to create those mismatches. But if you're depending on him on the outside to be the man, I don't think he's that player. So no, I'm, I, I'm like, I'm encouraged with C. Lamb because I think the fact that he's still been for the most part, like I think besides the Rams game, since Cooper Rush is in, he's averaged 75 yards or a touchdown in every game. So he's clearly making plays. I just, I wouldn't want to depend on him to be like, say, a Justin Jefferson of your offense or Cooper Cup. Like, I don't think C.E. Lamb could be that guy. You try to force feed 12, 14 targets a game and kind of be successful. It's not just his presence, right? It's also, like, dude drops the ball a lot too, man. Yeah, he had an ugly drop on third down against the Rams. I remember that. He has, he has some drops where you're like, damn, that could have been like a 30-yard gain and a touchdown. And then it's just, now you're punting. So that's the issue that I have with him. And... You've seen Deontay Johnson in the past had the same issues, young coming into the league, and then eventually he cleaned that up. There's also year three for CeeDee Lamb. Oh, uh, I don't think Deontay Johnson's cleaned that up. Well, he did he's last year. He's had about year. four bad drops. Yeah, yeah. I'm, he's had four very he's, bad drops. He's going backwards. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. Yo, what do you I, think of— I, I love Deontay Johnson, but no. Yeah. What do you think of Miles Sanders? And and him um, is this finally the Miles Sanders that we've been waiting for and, and clamoring for all these years, or has it just been me that's yeah. been high on him? No, no, I, he just, I think he's running with more patience. Like, like to be, I think running behind the offensive line, like you're obviously going to get holes, but now he has the vision to actually see it. Like to me, he's running hard, but it's just you know, getting those holes and finishing them. Like uh, I'd be very encouraged, by Miles Sanders, because it's just. I still think in the red zone, like they have so many different options. He might not get those red zone carries necessarily. We saw against the Cardinals, Jalen Hurts, two touchdowns at the one. But no, Miles Sanders, like there's a big plays there. And I think what we saw in his rookie year, we've been waiting for. And now uh, he could carry it 15, 20 times a game, no problem. The Dallas Cowboys are seven and three in their last 10 games against the Eagles. One thing about I know Dak Prescott, it hasn't been official that he's going to be out. There are some rumblings of him potentially playing. He's been a killer of the NFC East. Like his record against the NFC East is outrageous. And that's what you want, right? You want to be able to dominate the teams in your division. Seven and three are the Cowboys against the Eagles. But there's also a different. Don't we think it's a little inflated, though? We we have to talk. Like I know the NFC East now, the jokes are done, but. Let's not dismiss right. You know, yeah, like you weren't. Yeah, you weren't exactly playing ten and twelve win teams every year. Yeah, and you did like catch the, a lot of those teams on either complete rebuilds or just you know tail end of Eli Manning, which was not fun. 
You know, so like that. I compared Dak. I, I compared Dak Prescott's record against the NFC East to like Bill O'Brien's record against the AFC South. That's a good one. That's yeah, how bad the, Remember, that's how he, bad the divisions were. He yeah. won like three straight divisions, right? Shout out to Bill O'Brien, though. <laughs> that dude. Yeah, shout out. I remember one year yeah. I bet I bet them they were like five to one the first year that they won that. So he's good in my book, man. He he helped me cash that ticket. What do you think of this game? How does this game play out as we start to wind down? Oh, man. Like, like I really want to see what this Dallas front can do. Because obviously, Micah Parsons, there isn't a game that goes by that he doesn't make a two or three jaw-dropping plays. Demarcus Lawrence has been outstanding the past few games. And uh, Tyler Torrance Armstrong coming on. And then we have Dante Fowler. Maybe like Dallas is just loaded up front. And Anthony Barr is giving them good snaps, too. He's been a so surprise. I, I, He's been I, a good pickup for them. He's played well. I thought yeah. I thought the last couple of years in Minnesota, he was not the player that he was when he came into the league, but he's been super mm-hmm. helpful. And, yo, I didn't mention him before, but Jalen Smith with the Giants has made some plays too. And he's, um, a, guy, he's a guy He's a guy. who he left, he left Dallas, bounced around a little bit, and now he found a home with the Giants. And, like, Anthony Barr, I know he didn't bounce many places. Like, he signed with the Cowboys, but... I think the level of expectation for what it was when they signed Anthony Barr to how he's playing now has been, I'd be happy if I was a Cowboy fan. And also just one last thing I wanted to push back on. You said about like, how is this front going to like perform? Do you mean that by like, how do you mean that? Because I feel like at this point, you got to expect them to just be so dominant week in, week out. But they're going against one of the best O lines. I that That's okay, they're not 100 right now. But like, look, Lane Johnson's still one of the best. Uh, Samal, the right guard, he's blowing people up. And I think Kelsey will play, and Kelsey's as bell test they get. So this is a true. These are two premier units going at it. So that's really exciting. And even on the other side of the ball, like I don't think all right, I don't think neither line's elite, but like Dallas always playing really well. And Philly, we know the pass rushes they have. So I think this the trench battles on both sides of the ball. It's good. It's probably going to decide this game, even though I know there's a huge discrepancy at quarterback. But look, Dallas has kind of proven they could put together game plans where you know they could hide the quarterback's limitations, and you know if if, if they can make it a game where it's high teens, low twenties, they could certainly win. You think I'll ultimately pick the Eagles? Yeah, I think I'm going to pick Philly <laughs> as well. I think they're because we we didn't talk about their weapons. Like, man, they quietly have. I know I talk about San Fran having the best receiving trio, but right now, man, AJ Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard. Dude, I've been talking up their weapons this this whole year because I feel like with AJ Brown coming over, with AJ Brown coming over, everyone fell into their role that they could flourish in. You also have like, you randomly have like Quez Watkins stretches the field for them also. Like, that's a big part. Every team needs a guy like that. And then you have the reliable tight end. You got the alpha wide receiver and AJ Brown. And then you got Smith as well. Like, I think it's, I think this offense is buzzing too. And then Jalen Hurts can, he doesn't need to do too much. And I still don't think we've seen like the ceiling game for Jalen Hurts. Like Jalen Hurts is going to have a four touchdown throwing to like that Michael Vick, that Michael Vick Monday Night Football game. He's going to have one of those games. Like he's that. Wow. Because of the skill, the skill position players, bro. And he can run the ball. Like, you haven't even seen that 50 fantasy point performance from Jalen Harris. And it's coming. It's definitely coming. And if he wants to win MVP, like, a couple a couple episodes ago, I was talking about how Jalen Hurts isn't going to have the numbers to win the MVP. Like, especially with Mahomes. He's thrown 15 touchdowns. Josh Allen is going to throw all these touchdowns. And the teams are going to be top seeds. Like, 
it's going to be, you can't, you can't just not have throwing touchdowns if you're, if you're Jalen Hurts. So this could, this could be a prime time also division opponent that's coming in hot. It's going to be interesting, but I'm on Philly too, bro. Yeah. I just think right now, just too much talent. Like, yeah. You, like you look at them like, I don't know who Nancy could truly compete with them. Like you really have to make this a dog fight. And I do think Dallas can make it nasty, but it's just, I don't think they have enough offensively. And I just think Philly, they just have too many weapons not to break open three, four explosive plays. Like I could see AJ Brown. Uh, I, I want to see how Tra- like Trayvon Diggs. I know he he was on the receiving end of a seventy-five yard touchdown against Cooper Cup, but ooh, these are the type of matchups where I, I fear for Trayvon Diggs because he's so aggressive. And if you're aggressive against AJ Brown, he will clown you. So I'm very much looking forward to that matchup. Hey man, Diggs is high risk, high reward. He plays very aggressive. That's why he led the league in interceptions last year. But then also you see he overplayed Cooper Cup there, and then he got torched for a seventy-five yard touchdown. It was. So yeah, yes. it's going to be fun, man. This is this is definitely a good weekend. You have a marquee game in every time slot. That's going to take up one of the monitors for sure. And it's been a while since I've been able to say that about the New York Giants. So I'm excited for that. And then you got these banger of games, which are going to... They could ultimately decide who wins their conference. And I know it's only week, week six, but it's going to set the tone for the rest of the year. So I'm pumped. I'm excited. VeteransMinimum.com is you can find all things Veterans Minimum. Nick Day is 10 is where you can find me. Alan, where can they find you? Alan Stirk, A-L-L-E-N-S-T-R. We'll catch you guys next time. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.